Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gopas and Fire Podcast, Rockin' Pod 2 Artist Interview Special, featuring Ron Keel, Mike Vassero, Gary Corbett, and Troy Lucetta. And get your Tony Wipeout and your earbuds in, because it's going to get sweaty and it's going to get loud. You don't make it easy, you never keep it straight, but you're so damn sexy, I can't keep away. Welcome to Cobras and Fire. My name is Baco, and I just got back from representing the Cobras and Fire podcast in Nashville, Tennessee at the second ever Rockin' Pod Expo. It was so much fun catching up with so many of my friends that I made last year and seeing some new faces, too, and seeing a lot of you people out there that come up and talk to us. Make sure you check out the, our full recap of it where I go down into finite detail uh, on all the events that happened the entire week. Today's episode, we're going to talk about the interviews I did with the guests. I got Ron Keel from Keel, the Ron Keel band, and Steeler, and of course, Ron Keel solo. He likes to use his name in a lot of his projects. Also, we have Mike Vassera, who it turns out I first knew from the band Obsession. I bought their EP, Martial Law, because I liked the album cover when I was like 15, used my paper out money for that. But he also played in with Ingve uh, solo and some. Somewhere in between there, he was in a little Japanese band called Loudness. So we get into some of his stuff. Gary Corbett, of course. Uh, a lot of you probably uh, listen to our show and, and are familiar with Kiss. He was like their touring keyboard player for about a five-year stretch in the late 80s, early 90s. But we're going to get it all started off with a guy named Troy Lucetta. He's the drummer from Tesla. Before we get into this, I want to apologize a little bit. These, these things happen on site, and they're live, and they're unpredictable. There's not a lot of redos. My recording software gacked out towards the end of the evening, and I was able to actually salvage all of the audio, but there was this 
audible hum that I hope isn't too overbearing. You can hear all the conversations fine. You can hear everything, and you hear the ambient noise of the room. It's just not the quality that Loose Cannon demanded I have when I came back. But if he was there, I'm sure it would have worked out right. I wouldn't have made a mistake or something like that. It's kind of my fault for leaving everything recording. I'm not going to apologize anymore, though, because these are great interviews, and I think you're going to dig it. Anyway, if you weren't there, come next year. You're going to have a blast. But before we get too carried away, let's get into it. Here's Troy Laquetta from Tesla, baby. Before we go too further, I probably should let other people know that I'm talking to Troy Lucetta, drummer from uh, Tesla. Uh, you know, a little inter- to give you a little bit about my experience with Tesla. The first record, uh, Mechanical Resonance, uh, it, it eventually became and still is one of my favorite records ever. But it was hard to take at the time because, you know, you guys were kind of doing something a little more real and authentic than, say, a lot of contemporaries. You were before Guns N' Roses for me as far as kind of a raw, just straight up jeans and you know, t-shirt rock band, not not a lot of push on the image and stuff. I don't, I'm not not taking a shot of those bands. Yeah, these sure. are bands that I love. Absolutely. But because it was different, it was like almost like a hard rock, you know, Eagles kind of thing, if, if that makes sense. Just something a little more dense. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is, first of all, I love all those bands as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, we just happened to come out, the band's out of Sacramento, I was out of the Bay Area. Um, and I got with the guys, and I liked Jeff's voice, and I went and checked him out in the club, and I seen what was happening, and, and I thought, oh, this was really great. So we just got in, started working, started writing uh, when I became a part of the band, and we ne- there was never anything about what it was we were or weren't doing. Okay. We were just writing music mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, kind of move down that road, get a record deal, to get to have people take notice, and then... When Cliff Bernstein and Peter Mensch from Q Prime took notice, and uh, Tom Zutat uh, was with Electro Records, and he was crossing over to Geffen, and he knew he wanted to sign the band, we just were simply out to make the best record we could. That's all it was. It had nothing to do. We were kind of a faceless band, always had been. Uh, never was about imaging, and uh, you know, again, you know, maybe we would have done better with some of that, you know, uh, but. At the same time, we're still here. We're still rocking. We're having a good time. Uh, we've tried to clean it, clean it up over the last few years. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't. Uh, and try to bring some of that look good oh, to gotcha. the table. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. You know, but um, we've learned a lot of lessons over the last 32 years. You know, and uh, and we're still here. And we've got a new record coming out in January that Phil Collin from Def Leppard produced. And uh, you know, we just spent the last three years with Def Leppard. Uh, and this year we had uh, Joan Jet, uh, excuse me, Joan Jet and Sticks. So it's been just an incredible ride, man. You know what I'm saying? I do. I mean, we never set out to do anything at that other than, hey, let's see if we could get a record deal and make a record. You know, and now here we are. You know. Um, had you heard Little Susie, the original version, before you recorded it? Never. You have you heard it since? Or I don't know that I have. It's weird. Yeah, I'm gonna have to hear that. Yeah. I know. Was it PhD? 
something. Ah, I think that's what it is. And guess what? Simon Phillips, who I love, a drummer. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Simon, but point being, he's was on he, that. Was he one of the guys that was in ACDC at some point? That's a different Simon. Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 he wasn't. But he was in Toto. Okay. And back in the day, he was with The Who. <laughs> oh, all right. That, sure. Towards the end there, Simon, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, so Simon, he's been around a lot of years and done all kinds of crazy, amazing so things. So he was in that band? That he was the, in that band, PhD. Yeah, no, I heard it recently, and it, it's a drastically different song. It's almost synth pop. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I'm going to have to, now I'm going to have to go check it out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right on. Right. Uh, I first saw you on the Psychotic Supper Tour. Did not see you again until... Right after you guys kind of reunited, I saw you at First Avenue in Minneapolis. On the Psychotic Supper Tour, I was way up in the rafters, but I got kind of close for that one. And I thought you guys were amazing. It sounded great, and I've seen you a couple times since. So just keep it going. It, 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 it's, it's, it's good to see a band that clearly plays together. We do, man. And, uh, again, you got four out of five guys, um, and we genuinely like each other. Yeah. You know, we've learned all the hard lessons, and you know we've kind of figured out how to stay together. We work really hard. We got it. This band's always had an amazing work ethic, yeah, uh, which still happens to this day. Uh, not so much on practicing. We don't really ever. Well, I mean, at a it's just point, you don't we need don't. It as much yeah, as we, we we haven't rehearsed in I don't know 15 years. It seems like <laughs> seriously. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy. We just get together, you know, go out and pull a tour, and then if we're writing a record, we get together. And, knock it out and that's kind of how we do it you know you mentioned four out of five you know what, what was the deal with tommy was was it a you want just elaborate what was happening you know i mean the deal is unfortunately tommy was one of the last mohicans that could not unfortunately uh get sober and the disease had carried over oh, and okay. took him out and that's really the truth of the matter now man and i have so much respect for that guy i really do in the band I mean, in the sense of what he brought to Tesla, you know, the drugs and alcohol kind of, things get lost in all that crap, yeah. and that's what sucks, because, you know, there was a time where I was around Tommy, and I seen a side of him that I really never seen, which was a really great person, Yeah. because he was always an asshole, and I, and I say that with respect, you know, Tommy just had that thing, man, where he wanted to be a rock star so bad, and he just carried that whole image and life. And if he was sitting right here, I'd have no problem saying it to him. Sure. But at the same time, man, he brought it for Tesla. The stuff he did and he contributed as a band member. Uh, and it was just unfortunate because we all went through the drugs, everybody. Yeah. We all did that shit. And the fact of the matter is, is you know, he just got so far out there when we were all trying to get it together that it just never came back for him. That's too bad. And, 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 and the flip side of that coin with Dave Rude, who... Uh, is brilliant, and we were just so blessed that Dave came into the picture. Yeah, because he's he's a he's he's a, he's a member. Yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah. Do you have any relationship with Tommy at all now, or? Um, you know, I've got some tabs on him. I'm kind of paying attention. Uh, I, I can't say that we're talking. Sure. You know, um, but I, I I see he's really working at getting some things together in his personal life, you know, okay. and I'm really happy for him for that. Uh, yeah, well, everybody's always pulling for somebody in that situation. Yeah, you know so. what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, uh, let's bring it back to Tesla a little bit. Um, you got a new record coming out at the, you said the end of the year? or It's actually coming out on Universal uh, January, in January okay. 2019, and we're going to hit the road in February pretty much all year next year. Okay. Uh, what's, do you know what it's called? Or I think it's called, yet? I believe it's called Shock. Okay. 
Uh, it's already done in the can, or you got to record the, it in yet? the can. Done, and it's it's a Phil Collin from Def Leppard produced it. Yeah. If I had mentioned that, but the Did, was he wearing a shirt? What's that? Did he have a shirt on the whole time? I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, actually, he did have his shirt on, uh, and that's beautiful. I love that. You're like, uh, he's in the, you're in the, uh, you see him, he's like, all right, take, and you kind of turn around, you turn back, his shirt's off. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's so funny because like, <laughs> this was the record that he wanted to make, and it, it was his record, and we gave it to him, and we just took direction. Uh, he's in on that. He's the fifth Beatle, so to speak, okay. on this record. He, he killed it, man. He did a great job. It's going to be a little different for some of our fans, you know, and I attribute what I say. It's kind of like the Black Metallica record, you know. It's like, oh, they sold out, you know. Yeah. It's like, and then Lars come back, and yeah, we're selling out everywhere we play. That's right, yeah, that's so, two years. I mean, yeah. the fact of the matter is uh, Phil brought a side uh, to the record and the production that we were lacking and everything being so focused from a songwriting point of view, nothing wasted. And he knew exactly what he wanted to get. But you're going to hear a little bit at times. You're going to be like, wow, that's really some leopard vocals in there. And it's like, yeah, that's, some of that came through on some of it. But it's done real tastefully. Right. And it's still Tesla. So, I mean, I'd be curious to see how people respond to the record. I, on a whole, I love it. I think he did a great job and really happy with it. As a drummer, who are some of the people that you look up to that kind of got you going? Well, uh, one of my biggest influences when I come back and look when I was 15 was a guy named Leonard Hayes from YNT. Leonard Hayes was a drummer for YNT. It was actually called Yesterday and Today at the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, but I grew up with John Bonham, Ian Pace, Jeff Percaro. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, there's so many people uh, as a player. Steve Smith from Journey. I love Steve. Uh, Steve Gadd, um, uh, Jim Keltner, uh, 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 Denny Fongheiser. I mean, there's so many wonderful, amazing players out there that I've listened to and I'm still listening to. And more currently, you know, uh, I've listened to a lot of uh, country guys out here that I like. Uh, Shannon Forrest, um, Rich Redman, Chris McHugh. Uh, there's just, again, there's a laundry list of guys. that, And I'm still paying attention, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's quite a list. Uh, I mean, you, you hit a couple of the big hitters, but you kind of went deep there with some of those, like the guy from Journey and stuff. Yeah. Now, Y&T, are they a Sacramento band, too? They're, they're a Bay Area band. Okay. And when I was 15 years old, I was watching them before they had their first album out. Okay. And um, Leonard, the drummer, he was a John Bonham uh but he had that real heavy hitting, but he yeah. had a foot. I mean, he probably the best foot in the business. Seriously, single yeah. bass drumming. And uh, I don't think I've given him enough credit over the years for looking back and examining myself and what an influence Leonard was to me. And it was unfortunate that he had passed. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, he was truly somebody that changed my world. You know, of course I listened to John Bonham and, you know, Ian Pace and, I mean, uh, Mitch Mitchell. I mean, that was a given, you know, growing up at that time. But the unsung hero was Leonard Leonard Hayes. Yeah. You know. Yeah, well, again, not a name you hear a lot of people drop when they, they talk about yeah. drummers. But uh, um, speaking of drums, now, do you do a, when you guys tour? Is it mostly like at this stage, kind of flying in, and and everything is kind of set up for you, or you actually kind of load up the gear and hit the road still? And like, but what I'm asking is like, your drums? Do you do you just have like a this is what I need, and you 
kits? They, they no, hire, no, 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 your no, kit? no. We have, we travel with two tour buses and one semi. And um, we always use have our, our equipment. And what you're referencing is backline. Backline, So yeah. if yeah, I sorry. was to show up at a gig and our equipment wasn't there for some reason, then they would pr provide backline and I would go with the single bottom kit. You know, one rack, two floors, real simple, just do the show. I'm traveling with a full set and a full production. Okay. We've got video. We've got lights. We do the whole deal today. All right. Yeah. Right on. Um, and uh, so you said the tour is going to start up at the, in February or something like that? Well, we'll start back up. We just got home off the uh, uh, Joan Jet Sticks tour, uh, and we're off right now until next week. We start Loveland, Colorado. So we'll be out for the rest of the year. You were just on tour with, uh, well, maybe I it's longer ago than I thought. Def Leppard for a little bit, right? Did we you? did. We did the last three years with Def okay. Leppard. Yeah, yeah, we did three of uh, fifteen. It was Tesla, Sticks, Def Leppard. Two thousand sixteen was Tesla, Ario, Speedwagon, and Def Leppard. Last year was Tesla, Poison, Def Leppard. So you should get one of those guys to produce your record. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it, uh, Baco. You are the man. <laughs> Troy, it's been a pleasure. In, uh, I assume you're going to make your rounds and check some of these other places you know, out. I'm just here. I, I, I wish I would have had a better understanding on my end. I mean, Chris made it perfectly clear what was going sure. on here. But my schedule today, Def Leppard's in town. Our manager's yeah, here, and okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get over and meet up with him. So I'm going to do as much as I can today, yeah. given the schedule. Well, I, I'm glad you found time to talk to Baco from Cobras and Fire, and uh, all the best, man. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure.
I'm sitting here with Gary Corbett. I, I know you because of Kiss. Uh, but you, you've had quite a... You've you worked with a lot of artists. Why don't you give us a rundown before we get into too much here? All right. Um, Lou Graham, Cinderella, uh, Cindy Lauper, Debbie Gibson, Taylor Dane, Molly Hatchett, uh, Jolyn Turner. I mean, it goes on and off for a while. Cinderella, too. Did you say Cinderella? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this, the podcasting? Uh, not, not just the expo, but podcasts in general. I love it. I love podcasts. I, I'm a huge uh, motor racing fan. Yeah. And all I listen to are motor racing podcasts. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah what's, so, what's what's your favorite one? Uh, Door Bumper Clear, which is uh, done by a couple of spotters, TJ Majors, who used to be Dale Jr.'s spotter. Okay. And uh, Brett Griffin, who's uh, Elliot Sadler's spotter. They have yeah. a podcast together. And Dale Jr. has a really good podcast. And... Uh, out of so many, and I'm a I'm a huge uh, i racing uh, participant, uh, yeah. which is simulator racing, and that's a whole world. So you do it at home? Do you have yeah. like a setup? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it like a like a, a really sweet, expensive setup with multiple monitors to give yeah, you kind of three twenty seven inch monitors? Wow. A lot of guys I do it with are using actually the virtual reality goggles, and oh. it's pretty it's pretty realistic. Um, every major series has a an i racing series that mirrors the real series and just the other night i was in a a practice for a truck race nascar truck race and a couple of the guys that are in the playoffs were actually in our session Mm -hmm. jumped in with us so it's the line is getting really blurred between real real racing and the sim racing it's pretty awesome that actually that sounds fascinating that'd be a lot of now i suppose like the pedals have like a very real feel to them and stuff because i mean there's all different kinds there's different levels of gear you know most people start out with their office computer with a steering wheel bolted to the desk. Yeah. You know, and the chair rolls around when you hit the pedals. And yeah. And then the more committed you get, the more you spend, the more yeah. realistic you so get. So you compete in this? or mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how, how good are you? I'm mediocre. Okay. Um, I mean, there are guys that have... I've, William Byron, who's now a cup driver, started on iRacing. Never drove a real race car till he was 14 years old. Okay. And at 17, he was in the Craftsman Truck Series because of iRacing. Yeah. And so there are guys who have crossed over into Formula One teams, and there are guys who are like uh, simulated drivers from McLaren and Formula One that got their job through mm-hmm. a competition on this iRacing service. It's it's a whole world. It's crazy. Uh, race car drivers are by far the best interviews as a group over any other athlete. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's because they're a product almost. They're trying to sell something. Like, yes. they're prepared. You know, a lot of a lot of like football players or basketball, they're on a team. And if they get to, like, that elite level, like, Dale Jr. Yeah. would never skip an interview, but, like, right. LeBron James might. Well, you know? because the sponsors, you know. Right, yeah. Nothing happens without that sponsor dollar in motorsports and They'll bend over backwards to keep them. Yeah, yeah. And then, just something I've noticed over yeah. the years. Oh, no, it's I, true. I'm a casual NASCAR fan. I, I always watch Daytona, and then I don't know. I'll, I'll, once I get into the, the the chase at the end, there, I, I, I kind of check in, keep tabs. Yeah, it's what's going on. Interesting now. I I like putting it on and then doing shit like around the house, right? And then kind of dialing yeah. in with about 30 laps left to go. But yeah, the, the races are long. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an okay thing too. That, yeah. That's what makes it worth doing. But absolutely. Well, let's get to music a yeah, little bit. Sorry which is about why. that. No, hey, hey I, I took it further. You know, you were just telling me what was going on. I thought yeah. it was interesting. That's all right. Um, well, y- 
your time with Kiss is what I'm, I'm personally more probably the most interested in. I know sure. you've had a great career. Uh, you actually, I wanted you. You wrote Shebop, I heard at some point, yes. right? Yes. So that great song. Thank you. Um, uh, I wrote the music, and Cindy wrote the lyrics, along with Steve Lunt, who yeah. actually wrote. I, Steve and I collaborated on the music, and then Steve and Cindy collaborated on the lyrics. It's about flicking the bean, right? <laughs> it certainly is. That was not my contribution, but yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, we're all about uh, embracing masturbation on Cobras and Fire, <laughs> self-love. Um, but so you get you get into Kiss. How did you end up getting that job? Uh, that was done. I got that through a friend of mine. Uh, I was working at Electric Lady Studios in New York City, mm-hmm. and just at a chance meeting at a coffee machine, I bumped into a guy who had actually played keyboards on the Kiss record "Crazy Nights." Okay, and um, he was not interested in going out on the road and. They contacted, Paul had contacted him and asked for a recommendation for somebody who would be able to go on yeah. the road. And, you know, in our first conversation, I told him that I was kind of at the point where I was getting a little bored with the studio because, you know, I, I was doing nothing but studio work for a good year, year and a half at that point. And was definitely getting the itch to go on the road. I told him that at the coffee machine. And a week later, he had called me and suggested I go on road kiss. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, not a very challenging gig, I would think, for a keyboard player. It was a lot of tones, right? Well, it wasn't challenging from a chops perspective. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm not really, musically, I don't consider myself a chopsy kind of player Okay. Uh, overall anyway. I, I can, but to me, that's, I like fitting in the band, not standing away from the band and being the highlight or the spotlight. I, I'm much more like the rhythm guitar player. Oh, gotcha. I approach what I do a lot of times, yeah. especially in the heavy rock stuff, because because keyboards do have to take a backseat to the guitar. What, so what years would you have been doing that? Was it like 80? Uh, you tell me. Okay. So the Crazy Nights tour? Yeah. started on Crazy Nights, and the, the last tour I did was Revenge, mm-hmm. which was 92. was Eric Singer's first yeah. record with the band. And, and uh, yeah, I stopped after midway through that tour, they started the tour in Europe, and we did Europe first, and then they did the States second. And so I, in between the two is when I left. And, and you were pretty close with Eric Carr, if I remember yes. right, on the Decibel Geek podcast. Yes, sir. Um, can I ask you kind of a, I don't know, it's not a light question, let's put it that way. It's okay. Um, what the fuck was going on between him and Paul? Well, I, you know... <laughs> It's been a long time. I mean, I've I've voiced my opinion about that. I mean, it changed. All of that is, is what changed my relationship with those guys. Yeah. And so I I don't take it lightly. Uh, it's a it's a I don't know. You know, look. You in any band, there's always going to be dynamics between right, people, no. and it doesn't matter if you're Kiss or if you're band playing at high school dances in the garage. The, the clash of personalities. Always is going to happen, and there seemed to be something between those two guys that just Eric was an insecure guy, and Paul liked the poker. Yeah, you know, and 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 I, I guess that's what it was. I, now I read in the Eric Carr Tale of the Fox book something along the lines of Eric was griping some bitches about Paul Stanley in a in like in a hotel bar or a city setting like that, and word got back to Paul, and then Paul mm-hmm. came with. Some come to Jesus conversation with him. It's like, look, we can get another drummer. 
it wouldn't surprise me if okay, that's true. I no, know that I've never I can't heard. Who told that story? Mm-hmm. That book is like an oral history where people who knew Eric. Are you in that? I don't know. Okay, all right. Uh, they, they interviewed people for it. And it was all that stuff, but I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. Although, what would surprise me is for Eric to be speaking publicly about it because yeah. that was not the way he. Well, yeah, I mean, he was like sitting next to somebody. It wasn't like a you know he was no. at, on a radio show doing it. You know, right, but, right. Uh, uh, I mean, it's very possible. You know, he. Look, Eric was a complicated guy. He was very insecure, like I said. He loved being the drummer in Kiss yeah. more than anything in the world. He was a great drummer. Yes, and he was a great ambassador for the band. The fans loved him. And, yeah. and after the gigs, he was the only one that would come out and socialize with the fans down in the hotel bars and stuff. And he would sit and talk to every last one until, until everybody was satisfied. You know, yeah. He would never blow somebody off or not take the time to talk. And he loved being the drummer in that band. And that band was Gene and Paul, you know. From the time that Ace and Peter left the first time, anybody else that was ever in that band was, was an employee. They, were, they, were not, they didn't have equal say. Yeah, I, th- I think Eric was the last one to have a personality. And that, that don't mean yeah. that was a shock, because I like Bruce. I've actually talked to him a couple mm-hmm. times. Um, and Eric Singer... I think he's a very professional drummer, but yes. he just doesn't have that flair or kick. For me personally, Peter Chris is my favorite of the group, right. uh, but Eric Carr, I, I think, is their best drummer they ever had, personally speaking. But and he also seemed like a sweet guy. I never got was, a chance to meet him. Yeah, he was he was the nicest guy in the world. Would give you the shirt off his back, yeah. and he just loved being the drummer. Kiss. That was it. That was so, uh, other, other than eye racing, what, do you, what does Gary Corbett do to keep busy? Oh, I'm still playing. I mean, yeah. I'm still busy working on music. I There's plenty of music to play here in Nashville, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm working with a couple of different artists. Um, still working with the Nelson Twins a bit. Um, doing a couple of different projects with them. But I've just been, I've been working with a young country singer, more southern rock than country, actually. Yeah. From, Kentucky, uh, from Louisville, Kentucky. And I've been producing, we just, uh, we're wrapping up a CD's worth of I got eight, we got eight songs done at the moment. Cool. Going to do another few to complete it, but that's been keeping me really busy because I've been playing with the band live as well. And so, uh, any chance Kiss is going to bring you out on their big tour next no, year? No, I don't think so. <laughs> do you talk to those guys at all? No, we, okay. we had a falling out over okay, the whole situation. I th- yeah, I think that was covered in Decibel Geeks. So yeah. I don't yeah, I need to go back to yeah. that too much. But um, well. You were here at the expo last year, and this year it's kind of bigger. I mean, yeah. how do you feel it? Do you feel it a different energy in the room? Oh, absolutely! This is a much better. I, I, I think this this is a really cool event. I I actually when I pulled in this morning, I pulled into the old location, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I, 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 when I first pulled in, I was like, "Oh my God, this is a disaster! There's nobody here." Yeah. And I walked into the, into the building. And there was some theater group rehearsing a musical or something. I was like, oh, this ain't, I'm in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you no, you found your way. That's all yeah, that matters. It's so. great. It's, well, it's thank, thank you so much for giving us some time. Uh, I know they got you kind of moving around here, yeah. so I don't want to take up too much time. And um, Well, all the best, Gary. Okay. I really appreciate it. You're a nice guy. My pleasure. Thank you.
I'm here with oh myself. Oh my lord. Uh, I'm, I look very flat. <laughs> I'm here with the Ron Keel, the metal cow, the metal cowboy. Uh, fanning himself with a picture of my face. I appreciate How that. Cool is that, man? You got your own. You got fans. You got a lot yeah. of fans, dude. Yeah. And Choney wipes too. You got to take one of those. I will definitely take your wipes and your fans and uh, <laughs> make the most of it. Yeah. Great to talk to you and great to be on the show, man. Yeah, uh, you know there was a rumor. I, I'm from the Twin Cities. There, there was a talk that you and I were going to carpool together. Did you know that? Man, let's go home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm only about what four hours away from. Yeah, I know. Uh, Twin I can just, just drop you off and head home, but. Uh, yeah, I, I have a gig tomorrow in Sioux Falls, so let's, okay. let's get on the road. <laughs> By people talking about it, I mean, I think I suggested it on my own podcast. So. I figured well, you could like time. play acoustic guitar on the way down in the passenger seat. I will do that. Seat. You yeah. know I will do that. Oh, yeah. You I'll can. entertain your ass. Well, last night was, uh, you kind of checked off a couple bucket list items for me. One was actually on there. The other one I just added last night. Um, I've never seen, I never got to see Keel. I was, you know, I was a junior high, high school, didn't really get out of to see a lot of shows. I'm not even sure if you came to the Twin Cities, but I wouldn't have been able to get up there anyway. But seeing you sing, and by the way, haven't lost a thing. Your voice sounded amazing. And uh, I sing every day. I sing. I've, I've never stopped. I'm like a shark. I've got to keep swimming, or I will drown. So uh, I've, I've just kept swinging, stayed in the game. I'm really proud that 35 years later, I'm still able to to sing and entertain people like yourself and uh, deliver the goods. And, you know, I'm, I, I work hard. I practice. I warm up, and all that stuff. Take care of myself as best I can. But uh, it, it means a lot to me when people will compliment the voice because that's where it all comes from. You know, the song the song is nothing without the voice to sing right and you got you got uh, real chops on guitar too by the way I mean I've always known you as a singer so I didn't really think too much about it you know what I mean thank you well I, I enjoyed the solo acoustic gig where it's just you and your songs your stories and your voice and there's not there's no safety net yeah. nothing to fall back on and uh, being able to deliver a, an entertainment experience with just the bare bones stripped down like that's a huge challenge for me and a thrill when I pull it off. Okay, and uh, the, the, before I forget, the other part of my, my newly added bucket list item was uh, get drunk on a patio with Ron Keel. That's uh, right. We uh, did that. We did, <laughs> the day is young. We just might do it again. Yeah, no doubt. 
I plan. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly getting there. I don't want to get too messed up early. Me so. too. Me yeah. too. So uh, this is my first cocktail of the day. Cheers to you, back. Yeah, right on, right man. On. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I talked to you in January. We had a pretty career extensive interview. Um, and I guess now let's catch up to what's going on now. You have you did the re-release of the Metal Cowboy with the remix remaster for sale here today. Um, and you have a new album coming out, right? That's Fight, the like, new a, Ron Fight like a Band? Kill Band album, Fight Like a Band, coming out in January on the EMP label group. And, you know, I've been so close to this project for almost a year now as we've been going through the creative process, the writing, the creating the music, and then recording the music. I'm so close to it. I didn't, you know, I just try to make the best record I can, write the best songs I can. And I really had no clue if it was really any good or not. I know I love it, but is it good? Are my friends or my fans going to appreciate it and or enjoy it? And when we got here to Nashville yesterday, I played it for, for my dear friends, my inner circle, Aaron Fisher, John Red, Shannon Champion. These guys have been my best friends and my support group for years. And I played it for them because these guys love the old school Ron Keel. Mm -hmm. They love the, the singer from Steeler and the, the screamer from Keel. And they're, they're very much uh, rooted in my, my tradition and my history back in the day. So I was even hesitant to play the new album for them. And I did. And this is my man, Aaron Fisher, right here. What did you think of the new Keel record, or the new Ron Keel band album? It's one of the most emotional, inspiring albums I've ever heard you sing. I'm so excited. It'll bring a tear to your eye. <laughs> I, the fans are just going to be floored when they hear this. The fans that have followed you through the years are going to have a whole new appreciation for what you're about to put out. That means a lot to me. When you could play an album for your, your fans who really, uh, these guys wanted to hear the old school Ron Keel. And I think the emotion and the, the passion, the feelings, the energy behind these songs is you always think your your newest album is your best ever that's part of your dna you've got to you've got to believe in it you got to love it but to play for those guys and to get that reaction from my friends i know we have something very special here with the fight like a band album the title track certainly one of the best songs i've ever written and a song that really encapsulates what the ron keel band is all about because throughout all i've been through the last four years these guys have been my my rock uh my, my partner's on stage and off, and we created this album together. It's the first time I've ever collaboratively written together with these guys. So uh, through a, my, my wife's bout with cancer, mm -hmm. through the ups and the downs, all the hard times, all the good times, we have fought like a band. And that uh, brotherhood, that strength, that energy really powers these songs and this new music. I can't wait to unleash the brand new Ron Keel Band album upon the world in January. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, speaking to your wife, everything's still good? She's doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Everybody uh, has been so kind and supportive. From the fans to my rock star friends who helped us raise a lot of money for her treatment, which was extremely expensive and, and taxing in, in so many ways. As She went through seven surgeries for cancer, mm. uh, chemo, radiation, and we've both come out of the experience stronger and more positive than ever and you know I, I know that a lot of those stories don't have a happy ending I buried a lot of good friends this past year my best man at my wedding uh, passed away from cancer a couple of months back other singers and musicians and friends of mine that are literally uh, 
you know, that we're losing them at a, a, an, an alarming rate. So for us to have a happy ending to that uh, cancer ordeal and that story has been a huge blessing for us. And it's inspired me both in the music and in my, my business and my life, the new radio station, kbackradio.com, and everything that I'm doing, uh, I draw the inspiration from her. Right on. That's uh, well, well said. I can't say it better than that. Go back to when you were a young man, and your, your, your keel is kind of doing the tour thing, right? Isn't there like something like when you go into a town with your group of guys, you almost feel a, almost like an unstoppable force like when you go out or into a room or to a, you, maybe you just have a day off and you go to a bar but it's the band it really like is camaraderie that, that pack mentality yeah. i think that's in our dna like from, fuck any girl you want right well <laughs> pretty much but i think that pack mentality that desire yeah. to be a part of a team or yeah. part of a gang was one of my primary motivations and i still love being in a band I love the solo acoustic gigs, and I do a lot of events like this yeah. on my own, but the band is always with me in spirit. And that uh, literally, what, 20, 30, 40,000 years ago when uh, the tribes were migrating over the Bering Strait, I mean, they had to hang tough, they had to hang together, or they would die. Yeah. Being in a band is, is very much like that, where that, that pack mentality, the strength in numbers so to speak yeah. so it's very important to me and I enjoy that camaraderie and it's a good feeling. I, I enjoy the challenge of leading the team they're always looking to me for the answers for the the, the direction for the, the guidance and for the energy on stage I know if, if my band is behind me and I'm crushing it and I'm kicking ass they're going to give it all they've got so it means a lot to be a part of a great band like the Ron Keel band cool uh, you're back in Nashville uh, did, I, did you reconnect with any old friends tons of old Ex-wives. friends Every- Every time I, I come into town and, and hit the uh, hit the airport in Nashville, a ton of memories and emotions I get flooded with it. I'm I'm an emotional guy. I'm sensitive. Yeah. That's part of my creative side. But uh, I, I am in touch with that. I, I'm not afraid to cry. Uh, I'm not afraid to get emotional because that's where my creativity, and my songs come from. But this was home from the time I was a teenager. I moved here in 1979 with a guitar and a notebook and a pocket full of dreams and made a lot of those dreams come true and, and a lot of them came true for the first time here in Nashville, Tennessee. So uh, I, I did my first marriage was here in Nashville. She's passed away now. But, oh, I'm uh, sorry. I didn't, okay. I didn't no, mean to be crude. No, it's cool. She's uh, she's gone, but uh, the memories remain and uh, I'm just really glad to be back home in, in one of those places that really made me who I am. One of the things I really enjoyed about our first talk was you, you took a couple shots at me, and that's our show does that. You know, I mean, play, it wasn't nothing mean or wrong. I'm just saying you gave me a hard time because I, I hadn't read your book. I think you were fooling, though. You had read the book. You uh, were just trying to ask the right questions and doing your job. Yeah, but I've read it now. You sent it to me. I but. love the fact that I can rehash those old stories and stuff. But really, I'm just—I'd rather do an interview where I can talk about my feelings and what's what's going on now and who I am, what yeah. I'm doing, as opposed to the stock questions. What was it like to work with Gene Simmons? Okay. Tell me about Ingve Momstein. I did ask you about Ingve, but I don't you think I asked you about you got to go there in an interview type situation. But uh, so much of that is in the book, and it's it's well said and well written in the book. It is a very so, interesting. I love the way it's written. Thank you. I appreciate that. There are six typos in the book because I fell asleep while I was proofreading it. Okay. And I wrote it, I edited it, I proofreaded it, I did all that myself. So I'm really pissed about the six typos <laughs> and the misspellings because I am the English uh, 
the uh, grammar police? The grammar police. Yeah. I, I believe in spelling correctly, speaking correctly, yeah. and writing correctly. And to have those six typos really chaps my ass. But yeah. read the book. If you can find all six typos in my book at ronkeel.com, I will send you a free copy of the new Metal Cowboy Reloaded CD. Find all six typos and hit me up at <laughs> rodkeel.com. Right on. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Ron, I'd, lo- <laughs> I'd love to have you back on when the record comes out, and we will talk about everything new. I don't think I have anything more to dig into the old. Unless you get, a- are you drunk enough to talk some shit about Ingve? You really wouldn't give me much when I talked to you no, last time. <laughs> no, I, I'm not one of those That's what I want, talkers. man. Uh, I mean, everybody wants to. No, turn. I know. I mean. You were great in the book about all that stuff. I try and stay positive and look at every situation or every instance, even the cancer that we just went through with my wife. It's made us stronger. It's made us smarter. It's made us better. And I'm not thankful that she was stricken with cancer, but out of that situation, you take the positives, just like I do with Ingbe or any other career situation. It was a huge benefit to both of us to make that Steeler album in 1983 and celebrate the 35th anniversary. My only regret is that we couldn't just stay friends. Yeah. I mean, he quit the band to join Alcatraz, which was a great move for him. I supported it at the time and wished him well. And I mean, even if we had been best friends and really gelled as a team, he would have taken that gig and I would have given him my blessing. So my biggest regret is that we couldn't continue at that relationship through the years as we both got older and progressed throughout our on our own paths he won't return my calls he won't respond to any messages or just say hey man that was a good time thanks just celebrate the good times we, we only live once and we're all on a one-day contract so we should enjoy those relationships while right. we can while we're here okay i mean i have some friends that have had exchanges with him in the in the industry and he just doesn't sound like a very pleasant person but whatever well you yeah. are uh, you. You're I a very positive, it. upbeat and, you know, guy. I believe we're, we're people first, yeah. and we're artists second. You've got to be a good man and a good friend and a good father and a good husband and a good guy. On top of that, then you could be a good artist and a good musician or a good singer or songwriter, but we're people first. Yeah, right on. Well, with that, what are your kids up to? <laughs> well, my, my children are the light of my life, and my daughter's... Uh, She's 34 years old now, and yeah. an amazing mom, and an, an amazing, uh, grandpa, an amazing daughter. Keel. I am a grandfather. I embrace and love those relationships. My son is out in Los Angeles. He's also given me a beautiful granddaughter who's now two years old, and so I'm uh, embracing every every moment with my family that I possibly can. Right on. Uh, thanks again, Ron. Uh, you're always welcome on Cobras and Fire. Um, I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, we'll talk about the uh, Fight Like a Band record when it comes out. Let's um, do it. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. Rock on, live hard, party hard, rock hard. This is Ron Keel, and you're listening to Cobras and Fire. Rock's not dead, and neither am I. Crank it up and keep it up.
I'm here with Mike Lacerda. Did I pronounce the name right? Yes. All right. Yes. Perfect. Uh, from Obsession. I, I didn't realize this. I, I first knew the name and the voice from the Loudness record, uh, right. Soldier of Fortune. But I actually owned the Martial Law record. Oh, okay. The, the, the EP. Yeah. Um, and, and he was the one who informed me that you were the singer on it. Again, yeah. he's the the <laughs> walking Mike Macera Wikipedia page. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> he's got them all. The vinyl. Holy shit. Tell me a little bit about Obsession, how that came about, and that record in particular. Um, Martial Law. Um, uh, you know, we were just a bunch of kids in Connecticut. Um I, I believe I answered an ad. We used to have a thing called the New Haven Advocate. Connecticut? Do you, do you know Vinny at all? You just were interviewed by him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Vinny's from Sorry. Bridgeport, actually. Sorry, Reggie. No, no, no. Yeah, he threw me a little bit. Yeah, good old Vinny. Um, you know, I think at the time when I... He was already, like, probably on the West Coast when a session okay. was taken off. But, okay, uh, sure. But, uh, you know... We got together and we were all fans of like Iron Maiden and Priest and Saxon and Scorpions and and you know we talked a bit and we got together and jammed. They had been looking for a singer for a while, the guys, and um, we kind of hit it off and you know uh, started doing shows and recording demos, which nobody was doing at that point. Really? So we started doing demos and submitting them, and, and literally six months from me joining the band. We had a thing with Metal Blade. We did the uh, Metal Massacre 2. And then immediately after that, we went in and did uh, Martial Law with, with Metal Blade. Right on. So, uh, But it was really fast and it was tough because we were in Connecticut and there was nothing. There was only cover bands. There was no original acts. And uh, we were the first band to, to start doing originals and, and sort of change the scene. But I heard it's back to the same thing yeah. now. I, I bought that record because of the cover. Oh, yeah. uh, it was one of those, you know, I, I would, I would, probably everybody here is like this. I would go to record stores and flip through and not, never buy anything until I had money. And then, like, right. one of these days I'm going to buy this. And I did. And it was very aggressive for my taste at the time. But I, I really got into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the, the title track is probably my favorite. But anyway. Martial Law. Yeah, we actually re-recorded that a few years ago. Really? On, um, Where can I find that? It's on Carnival. We did, uh, when we kind of did a reformation of the band with a few of the guys. Carnival of Lies is called. It's on that, I believe. Okay. I think it is. So, uh, what what was like the, the next run for Obsession? How long was that? It was a good god. I mean, it had to be... I joined Obsession when I was... I think I was 18. I just turned 18 years old when, when we did Martial Law. And, wow, uh, young guy. Yeah, I was, we were, I was a kid. They were all a few years older than me, but uh, we were... Like I said, we, we didn't have a clue about recording and we were just like really reaching and, and were you a trained singer i mean or was it more of something you just worked out on your own i was actually a classical pianist when i was a kid okay that's what i was trained to do but my brother was a singer in a rock band my mom was a singer did shows all over the place and stuff so i was always around it and that's what i wanted to do i really wanted to be a singer and i just did it okay i just decided i'm gonna sing what was it like the first time you sang in a studio booth with the headphones on? Was it? Uh, it's yeah, a fucking alien. adjustment, right? It was, yeah, a complete nightmare. Just, yeah. You know, like, oh, my God. You know, you hear everything. and yeah. um, it's, it's a different world. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, back to then. So, like, when did Obsession kind of end? Um, it was right, right before I joined Loudness. Things were getting a little rough. We had some issues within the band, some one somebody had some legal problems and it's just like a really long story but at the, at the time I left we actually had a different drummer a different bass player 
Okay. So, um, actually, it was only Bruce Vitale and myself. There's only two guys left, and I started getting offers from, from all sorts of different people. I was talking to the Sabotage guys for a bit, and um, uh, just all sorts of different stuff, and then loud, the loudness thing came up. Uh, how, did how did the How did loudness contact you, or... Like what was going on with the original singer? They needed a vocalist change. We were already looking for a guy for a while, I guess. And Max Norman was producing the record, and he had a co-producer called Roger Prober. And uh, they couldn't find a guy. The guys just were not happy. They auditioned, I think, 600 people between tapes and studio, and they just couldn't find the right guy. So Roger had gone to Enigma Records, which was Obsession's label, and was. Discussing, uh, you know, we're doing loudness, we can't find a singer. And they were like, oh, we got the guy for you, you know, yeah. Mike Vissera from Obsession. And when the guys from Loudness, they had known about me from MTV. And when they, they heard it was me, hey! Troy Lucetta from Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when they heard it was me, they were like, oh, shit, you know? And so I guess they started calling studios in Connecticut. Their, their English manager started calling studios in Connecticut to try to find me. There was no internet and no yeah. way. I got a call from my producer in Connecticut saying, hey, is somebody loud or something is looking for you? And I'm like, loud? Like loudness? And uh, sure enough. So I called the manager and three days later I was in Tokyo singing with him. Uh, does uh, does Akira speak any English? Yeah, speaks good. Oh, really? Yeah. He's uh, They're shy. Okay. Masayoshi, the bass player, spoke great English. Um, Munitaka, the drummer, would only speak really good English when he was hammered out of his brain. Uh, <laughs> if he was straight, he couldn't speak. How often was that? <laughs> it was a lot. Unfortunately, ended up killing him, and he died a few years back from Oh, okay. So, much, uh, so, on the first Loudness album, Soldier of Fortune, that you did, were you involved in a lot of the songwriting, or was some of the stuff already done? Um, as far as the lyrics, the, did the you... The music was all done. They had they had some rough ideas for vocals, but when I came in, we, we rewrote all the stuff. And, but the music had been written. Like I said, that record was, I would say, probably almost a year old. Like, they had done all the tracks, and that's when they started doing the vocals, when they decided to... Uh, because it seems like to me, Soldier of Fortune, it's a it's an outstanding album, but it's the kind of most unloudness sounding album. Yeah. And then on the prowl, kind of goes back to the loudness sound, and it's a lot yeah. heavier. And um, the reason on the prowl would have been more like Soldier of Fortune, but what happened was exactly, and that record wasn't supposed to be released in the world. Originally, what happened was. It's always something nuts. Our manager had robbed us blind after Soldier of Fortune, right? So the label didn't know what to do. You know, we were he just had taken off with all this money, and we're sitting there. So the label came up with the idea, hey, let's do this record. We'll re-record all old loudness songs with Mike singing in English. We'll release it. It'll go gold in a day. The ones from early on when they were singing in Japanese, right? Yes, exactly. Um, I think seven, seven of the songs. There's only two or three new songs, but uh, so they figured we released the record. It would go gold in a second. We money would come in, and we could go in and do the next okay. record. So somewhere along the lines, as we're recording the link, 
which is uh, was Atlantic, decided, oh, we think we're going to release this as your next record. And we were, we were shocked because that was not supposed to happen. But uh, that's why it sounds more like, the, you know, because it is the original song, yeah. just redone with English lyrics and some different melodies. But uh, we wanted to continue with something like Soldier. Were you brought in on Soldier of Fortune to kind of like Americanize their sound a little bit? Westernize that. Westernize, yeah, yes. Yeah, well, that's what they Commercial, wanted. Commercial, like maybe they were still trying to get big in, exactly. in, in America. Cause but they were trying to, even in Europe. Like, like lightning strikes and stuff. Yeah. And they they were, still didn't get real big in America. Yeah, you know, which is funny, though, is when we, we were touring during On the Prowl, we were climbing up the charts. Things were picking up, and we were shocked. Like, what's going on here? I remember seeing the video for uh, in, the in the Mirror. mirror. Yeah. yeah, in the Mirror. And, uh, and that was just, you know, those guys are great, but they always had something crazy with management, something bizarre going on around them, and that's really what killed them. But uh, when I joined the band, I mean, it was supposed to go through the roof. Did it so much. Way to go, Mike. Way to go. That's where, what we thought. You know, we all thought. I mean, exactly, exactly. You know, was it a boost for you if it wasn't for them? I mean, um, well, I, you know, with from, the from obsession. Yeah, I mean, I was on the cover of everything. I was on TV. It was just insane. You know, uh, it's like the Beatles coming to America, sort of. Because when you're in the band, did did they let you do a lot of the talking so they could be understood? Or I did it all. I mean, they would send me on these promo things. Yeah, they would have me do all of it, yeah, and uh, it was huge when I joined, and uh, like I said, then we took that hit from the manager, and then we on the prowl, and, and uh, I don't know, it was, it was just a weird time, the guys weren't happy, that we weren't as, as big as they were, you know, when they first came to the States, so it was a rebuilding process, and uh, I don't know, it was just a tough time. How did it end? Oh, God, it ended in New York, actually. Uh, things just got really ugly. They just wanted to go back to Japan and do another record. And the label Atlantic, which was our main office, is in New York. They were like, listen, you guys don't finish this tour. Do the finish the promo. We're dropping the band. It's over. And they just wouldn't. They just wouldn't, uh, you know, common sense. And they just wouldn't listen to them. Sure. So, and I told them, Yeah. Possible, and they just had a different goal at that time, yeah, I guess. I think it was mostly the drummer because he was the eldest in the band, so they always would honor what he said. And it was like, listen, you know, and, and you're like, he's hammered. Yeah, just please. You know, <laughs> it was a lot of that, and unfortunately, I think it, it ended up killing the band for many, many okay. years. And uh, and they did. They got dropped. Everything ended, and finally, in the past couple of years, they're able to come back. Yeah. Still run into visa issues once in a while. It seems like. Yeah, but. you know, I still I still do shows with them. I'll still go to Japan and. Oh. They call it Soldier of Fortune now, though. When oh. I play, when cool. I sing with them, so. Yeah. But maybe next year. It's the 30th anniversary, so maybe they're talking about a tour next year. So we'll see. But. Um, it's my favorite loudness record. I I, I like yeah. songs off the other ones. That that record I listen to all the way through. Whole album. Whole It's a good record. Yeah, you know, I, I love that record. Still to this day. 
And Akira is amazing. But. He's, he's unbelievable. Well, what do you think of podcasts? And they're starting to become bigger and bigger. I don't know yeah. how many of these you've had to do today or in general. I mean, uh, what, yeah. what are your thoughts going forward with podcasting? That's is a it going to idea? You know, um, I was just telling Vinny and Vinny back here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we had college radio. When we were kids. I'm such an NHU in, in, in New Haven. Actually, put us on the map because yeah. they reached out to New York and stuff. College radio was everything, and that's. No, there's nothing for us now, and this is almost like college radio happening again, you know, where there is a platform. Thank God, because you know, just especially here in the states, it's so bad. They just they don't they don't support anything, you know, unless you're Taylor Swift, I guess. Yeah, no shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, what are you what are you, you having a good time today at the event? Yeah, this is great. This is great. I met Chris a few years back. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah that's all right. But, uh, you know, and, and there's so many guys here in Nashville, too. There's so many yeah. rock guys and metal guys. It's, it's really cool. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is awesome. Well, hopefully you're back next year. Hopefully we're back next year. Yeah. But uh, um, anything to promote right now? Shit. What's going you know, on? I'm doing a new thing called uh, Anime's X. Oh, yeah? Because I, I, I do this thing. I, I do a lot of stuff with Disney where we did the yeah, D-Metal Stars. Do all metal songs and Disney songs, and then I, I just actually produced an instrumental record, almost the same thing with more rock with Zach Wilde, Paul Gilbert, oh, George cool. Lynch, everybody. And uh, so, but Disney won't let us tour under the D Metal Stars name, so we're like, well, screw it. We're gonna, and we got offers, so we, we came up with Anime Zax, and we're doing Disney stuff, and we're doing like Power Rangers and Ninja Turtles and the Grinch, and, but all these cartoon superhero songs with metal versions and um, it's going great so far so we're just kind of looking to, to, to get metal out there still but you know the thing is that the kids love it and the family the parents love it so we're just trying to find something to bring it back and it seems to be doing really well so far so right now I'm doing that and uh, just producing stuff right on awesome album alter just Alter. came out on digital. Just yes. got put on digital. Yeah, format. yeah, just yeah. Um, all four of them came out actually. There's uh, Windows, The Altar, Animation. Yeah, um, Sign of Things to Come. It's just under Michael Vicera. That's a good one too. The first two, I had just left Ingvay. I was trying to do something. <laughs> oh, I forgot. I, I have to add. Are you are you willing to talk some shit about Ingvay? I can't get Ron Keel to say anything about him. Uh, <laughs> I want I want it for the show. Hey, this is not a, this is a uh, podcast, Billy. Okay. What do you got? Oh my God. Uh, we, we'd have to sit here for okay. a couple of weeks. Yeah. But, yeah, you gonna take yeah. the high road like Ron? Was it? You gonna take the high road like Ron? I uh, no no just not, you know he's an interesting character. Yeah. You know he treated me good when I was there. Okay. It was just other things I didn't like. But did you ever hear him say he's gonna unleash the fucking fury? Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I wasn't on a plane, but I've yeah. heard it. Okay. I've heard it. It was a common, common uh, saying, buddy. There, there was a few. Y'all did some good touring overseas. Yeah, that. it was crazy. It was huge. It didn't get anything. We do like the wars or something. We do a thousand. Yeah. We're playing Budokan, all arenas, all arenas. The live Europe, we were doing arenas. Just in the states, we were doing like thousands. 
Yeah, no. I, There's too many out there for them not to be true. <laughs> all right, well. <laughs> I just did a tour in Mexico with Nick, who's singing, like, plays keyboards and sings for him now. Good guy, but apparently things are the same. With the rest of the guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Michael, I, I really appreciate you coming on Cobras and Fire. All the best. Thank and uh, for people need to Google Michael Vassera and check him out. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. <laughs>